Welcome to Living Box Free. Our mission is to help you break out of the box of worldly expectations. We're here to help you find your unique journey to a healthy, fulfilled life. Welcome to Living Box Free. I'm Becky Ford. And I'm Ashleen Seitz. And we start off each podcast with one question. What is on the rise for you this week? Ash, what's on the rise for you this week? Well, it seems like kind of a downer to start this way, but it's been sort of a downer of the last couple of weeks uh, with all the riots surrounding George Floyd. Yeah, and other episodes of racism. It's just been kind of rough. And so I'm going to say sadness. Sadness has been on the rise for me this week and probably the week before that, honestly. And yeah, something I'm trying to process and figure out what my my action steps are, and but which is mostly listening, understanding, things like that. But it's definitely been a lot of sadness recently. Yeah. And not to mention, gosh, I mean, a pandemic, COVID, lots of sadness that comes with that. Yeah. And which is different, but yes, yeah, now still, the riots. still emotions. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, great segue to what we're going to talk about here in just a little yes, bit. in just a moment. But just before to, that, yes, what's on to, the rise for you? To be continued, sadness. What's on the rise for me this week? I I actually, gosh, it was April. I started off with a program called Edge at Work that is in partnership with Butler University. And there's, I think, 40 some of us in it. It's an executive certificate program. And we have cohorts of five people. And so this week, we had a chance to share what's called our lifelines together. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've really enjoyed getting to know my world is so much agriculture and then gym, <laughs> and then family. And so it was really cool to get to meet and truly see and hear people be vulnerable about who they are and get to know my cohort. It's an 18-month program. Eventually, we're going to meet face-to-face. Yeah. So that's going to be exciting. I think that'll just help us bond even more. So that was that was a really fun treat for me this week. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Obviously, I like people. Yes. So <laughs> Extrovert. I enjoy those things. Well, Ash mentioned what is on the rise for her this week is sadness. And what we're actually going to talk about today is something that's really important to us with On the Rise, our business that puts out this podcast. Our One of our missions is helping you live a healthy life. And when we say healthy, yes, we both are CrossFit nerds, but we're going much deeper than that. We're talking about the mental and emotional health that is so important. And today there are just more and more people that are suffering, whether it's from anxiety, depression, or other other challenges when it comes to that mental health side of things. And this is so important to us. We wanted to make sure here in the beginning of our podcast, we share an episode that's very vulnerable, sharing a journey, and it's actually going to be Ash's journey with depression. And yeah. so she's going to share with us what is depression, her journey, And I think it's important to recognize, you know, we are not therapists that are diagnosing depression. We're not licensed (laughs) experts. No, but for me, I have have family and I've got friends who I know who've had depression and it is so helpful and it means so much to me when someone can share their story and helps me empathize more with those people I love who are going through this similar experience. So with that, Ash, I'll throw it to you to share Share with us what what does this journey look like for you? Yeah. And if you're just joining us for this episode specifically, this is not normally how we do things. It's normally more of a back and forth. This one's going to be more about me sharing my story, Becky jumping in when she has questions, that kind of thing. So 
maybe not a typical episode. I'm going to go lay down on a beanbag <laughs> and just let Ash talk. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> I'm kidding. Thanks for your moral support here. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> Becky already talked about why we're talking about this, but I, the reason I want to share my story is that I don't think we talk enough about our internal struggles and battles. And if we're not willing to bring things into light, we we really can't see what's happening. We can't see the reality. My favorite author, Jenny Allen, often says that the devil in the dark can tell you whatever the hell he wants. Ooh, and I, I like that. And I think it's mostly because if you're not willing to bring something into the light and to tell safe people about it, then they can't tell you whether it's true or not. And there are a lot of things that happen in our minds that just aren't true. I mean, they're feelings often, they're emotions, they can be validated because we are experiencing them, but a lot of the things that we struggle with, it's really helpful to bring them out into the light and to tell your story. And so I want to model that, telling my story. And this is not the first time I'm telling this. Um, I wouldn't, yeah, would not have the guts to just be like, well, I've never talked about depression. Now I'm telling everyone about it on a podcast. That's not how this works. I'm really glad you say that because there's probably people out there that are like, oh my gosh, this is so hard for me. I don't know how to tell this story. And yeah. I love that you're prefacing this saying it's taken time. Yes. And there have been many milestones. I would say along my journey with depression, there have been many milestones that I can look back on. Some of them really hard, some of them really good. I'm going to talk about a few of those milestones today. I kind of just decided to pick and choose what to talk about because it, you know, I have my whole life to talk about. It's hard to decide where to focus on. But yeah, I would say that there are times along the way that I have chosen to bring people in on the on what's going on and to tell my story. And so this is just another milestone on that journey, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the reason I want to talk about this, and Becky did say some of this, but I want you to know that you are not alone if you are experiencing any of this. If you're listening and any of my story sounds familiar or sounds like it's something you've experienced, I want you to know that you are not alone and that wherever you are is okay. But the takeaway here is that if you are, you know, if you're listening to me and you're like, oh, that sounds familiar and I don't know what to do about it, go talk to somebody, preferably someone licensed, someone who knows what they're talking about. You know, you can just start with your doctor, your primary care physician. That's a fine place to start and just tell them about what you're experiencing. So that would be the kind of the bottom line here, which, you know, normally we put that at the end, but I just want to say that up front. And if you're listening and you don't understand Uh, I want you to hear this story so that you can understand just a little bit of what many people in the world do experience. And I know it's hard for us to talk about. And so I hope that by me talking about it, it'll give you a little bit of a glimpse into what other people are experiencing around you. Yeah, that's one of the things I really appreciate is broadening our perspective. I know when Ash and I talked about her sharing her journey, you know, I, I am an overly optimistic person. It takes a lot to get me down. When, but I do get down, obviously. Yeah. But it, I, I so appreciate people sharing this perspective because it helps me put myself in other people's shoes more and understand, you know, why they might feel a certain way, and that it's that it's okay, and be able to empathize better. Yeah, and that goes back to our emotional intelligence too, as we talked about deep and meaningful relationships and how to manage those. And even I'm about to talk about all this and I feel comfortable talking about it because I have spoken about it to other people before and I'm comfortable owning it. It's my story. And I am still in this moment wildly uncomfortable trying to figure out what to say. So just 
if you are listening and you're like, wow, how can she even talk about this? I'm a little freaked out. I'm going to be honest. It's a lot of pressure <laughs> to figure out how to communicate this in a way that's helpful. So you are human. I am. It's true. I like to call you superhuman, but yeah, we're all okay, human. Whatever. <laughs> it's that superhero creed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's start with, we. T- I talked about sadness at the beginning of this episode with what's on the rise. Let's talk about sadness versus depression just really quickly. Sadness is an emotion. It comes along usually with circumstances or situations. Depression is more of a lack of emotion, usually, or it's a very consistent down feeling. Or um, the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is what um, clinicians use to diagnose mental health, they say that you have to have at least five of the eight symptoms of depression in order to be considered clinically depressed. Um, which doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be depressed without being clinically depressed. There are seas- You can go through seasons of depression surrounding you know, the loss of a loved one or just really difficult circumstances, and that doesn't have to be clinical depression. But then you can also be clinically depressed, which can in, in, in and of itself be seasonal or it can be a lifetime of depression. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit complicated, but just know the, I mean, the five of the eight symptoms, like, for instance, um, one of them is significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or decreased or increased appetite, uh, fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. So things that really are ongoing as opposed to a feeling of sadness in mm-hmm. a specific situation. Does that make sense? Yes. And I love that you clarify sadness and depression and the fact that depression's not linear and this is it. And I think a lot of people who maybe haven't experienced it or don't have a loved one who has depression, it's easy to think depression is one thing. So I I really appreciate you spelling that out seasonal, certain times, all of your life versus just a portion that, so I think that's important for us to understand it is, it's much more complex. Yeah. A friend of mine, we were talking the other day and she was very clearly avoiding the word depression for what she was experiencing. And then later in the conversation when I said, I was, I am depressed. She was like, yeah, that's why I didn't say I'm depressed. Cause that's, that's not what I'm experiencing. And I was like, well, I hear that. And that's, that's really helpful for you to not just throw that word around, mm-hmm. but also you can be depressed just in this season of life going through a really difficult season and that's okay. And you're not comparing it to my depression, which is more of a lifelong situation. So it, it's okay to say that you're depressed if you really mean it. It's mm-hmm. not a good word to just throw around, but yeah, I'm already thinking of examples. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of when my husband had to have emergency surgery and yeah. couldn't work out for three months, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, do I like?" Is he? He was so. I mean, some of these things you've described, these symptoms, you know, lack of energy and motivation and sadness, uh, being down. I mean, that was a season of his life, yeah. not him forever, which was sprung on by not being able to do what he loves, work yeah. out, and have to be limited. So even just you breaking that down a little bit more helps me to think of, okay, there's an example in my life where I have observed that in a certain instance. Yeah. So sometimes it's situational, sometimes it's chemical, and sometimes it's both. My, my diagnosis of myself and what I've heard from different counselors, I've, I've had a variety of counselors over my lifetime, is that mine is primarily chemical and that then it's also uh made worse by situational depression at certain times in my life. So let's start at the beginning, looking back on my life, uh, looking at my old journals. So we posted a a bonus episode last week that was all about Ash or two weeks ago. And 
I brought in my first journal from when I was six years old. And in that journal, when I am 10, I have this entry that says, it's, <laughs> I'm 10 years old, and the entry starts out in like little green pen cursive letters. Is the world spinning around me, or am I spinning around, the, around and the world is staying put? I can't tell. My life is upside down. Sometimes I feel so lonely and desperate I could cry. A lot of times, I do. Oh How dramatic. Gosh. Oh my gosh, for a 10-year-old? That sounds Ooh. like poetry. <laughs> As a 10-year-old. That's deep. Yeah, so wow. that tells you, at 10 years old, I was already experiencing a weight of emotions. And I, looking back on that journal and some of the things I wrote, I really do think I, I've always tended toward depression, which makes me think it is more of a chemical thing. Um, the chemicals that, in my brain. Is that sixth grade, fifth grade when you're 10? I think it's fifth grade. Fifth grade. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty young. Yeah. And then when I was when I was 15, my so I had a violin teacher all growing up because I played the violin, classical violin, fun fact. And when I was 15, she started calling me an old soul because I had all of this empathetic understanding of what other people were going through. And I just had such... A, a deep emotional understanding of other people that even, I mean, she got divorced and I felt like I could understand the pain that she was going through, even though I was 15, obviously I had no idea what it was like to get divorced, but I just had this connection. And I think even as a kid, it was exhausting. Like going back to that 10 year old self that wrote, you know, is the world spinning around me or am I spinning around it? I was exhausted. I had this feeling of, I don't know how to manage my emotions. And I'm, I feel like the world is spinning and I don't know what to do about it. And so again, kind of that back and forth, is it chemical? Is it situational? Is it because I don't know how to manage my emotions? Probably the answer is yes, all of the above. <laughs> I'm even thinking personality-wise, those people who are more empathetic and connected with other people's emotions, I wonder if that makes it even more difficult because you're feeling with them so often. Yeah, I think you're right. So when I was 16... Uh, a friend of a friend or a friend of our family had an aneurysm. She was driving down the highway. She had an aneurysm in her brain and she just drove like car drove off the road. She was in the hospital for days. And I remember we got a call. My parents got a call to ask to pray for her and to pray that she would pull through. And she, she did. She's still alive. Still wow, doing that's great. Awesome. Um, but at the time I remember I was 16 years old and my, my parents sat down and they said, okay, we're going to pray for her. And I remember my mom praying, you know, God, keep her alive, keep her, you know, heal her, all of these things. And I remember thinking maybe it would be better if she didn't make it not in a like completely dark and morbid way, but just in my own heart, I was already thinking this life is really hard. And maybe it would be better for her if things are going to be really rough, like medically for the foreseeable future. Maybe it would be better if she doesn't make it. And I think I honestly scared myself at the time. Yeah. Because having that thought was like, oh, my gosh. How old were you then? 16. 16. Okay. Is that really what I think? You know, do I really think life might not be worth living? That's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> One more example from high school um, of how I can tell it kind of has been a lifelong thing. My mom... And I were talking about, I think I was probably 15 at the time. My mom and I were talking about, she was stressed about something. And I said, you know, it's understandable that you're stressed. And she said, well, you've never been stressed. I don't think I've ever seen you stressed. 
And in my head, I, my internal response was, I did it. I have fooled her. Oh, goodness. And then again, kind of that immediate like panic. Oh, my gosh, this is not good. Like I have fooled my own mother into thinking that I am fine. And I'm simultaneously proud of myself. And also, that's not good. But I didn't know what to do about it. And it's not her fault. I mean, she just didn't know. I was putting on a front. I was make, making it look like everything was fine. And I made it through. So high school, yeah, high school was rough, I think, from an emotional perspective. But I really just, it was a lot of angst, a lot of negative emotions I didn't know what to do with. And then when I went to college, so we can kind of breeze through college because it was really terrible, which is just... Oh, no. <laughs> and it was good, but also really terrible. So I really wanted to make really meaningful relationships. That's what I wanted. So I had been homeschooled my whole life until I graduated from high school, and I wanted to go to college and make really good friendships. And I did, but I also happened to make friends with the people who were really struggling. And so I ended up having uh, one roommate who ended up in the psych ward for um, suicidal thoughts, and then one roommate who just who was... I'm um, doing some self-injury was really, yeah, she was really depressed. I had another friend um, who ended up deciding she didn't want to be friends with me anymore by the end of college and that she was one of my best friends. She just was really having a rough time. So college, college was one big emotional disaster, I would say. And oh I, I think that's where my actual, what I would call clinical depression started. And I didn't know what to do. I had no concept of that this is not normal, this is not okay, that the way I was feeling and the fact that I was having a hard time getting out of bed every day was just not normal. And I think what, what kind of helps and hinders me is that I can still function at a, at a fairly decent level and get a lot of things done and do things well, even though I'm depressed. So that's it kind of masks. So going back to me and my mom talking and her being like, you've never been stressed. I'm like, I can fool you. I can fool you into thinking that I'm fine. And I try not to do that anymore. Um, I try not to just let everything look okay when it's not, but it's still hard, still hard to do. So gosh, during college, at what point of that college career did you say, I need to do something about this? Mm, not early enough. Yeah. It was literally, so we got a certain number of free counseling. I think it was like five free counseling sessions. And I think I took five of them the last two months of college. And that was it. How helpful were those? Not at all. Five? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was my first time doing counseling. I don't think I knew what I was doing. I don't think that the person I was going to was a, an amazing at their job. Um, but even if they were, I don't know that I would have been able to open up fully because I just didn't really understand what was going on. I didn't understand again, that that was not normal. Um, something that, that has happened in recent years is I've come to realize that I don't want to be alive. It's not that I want, it's not that I actively want to die. I just do not have a desire to continue living. And that's, I think that has been true since college or maybe late high school. And, but I didn't realize until oh, maybe a couple of years ago, and I'm 32 now, it was that, that that's not normal, that that doesn't, that that's not how most people feel. And so even back then when I started going to counseling in college, I don't think I had any idea that the way I was feeling was as bad as it was. Does that make sense? It does. So Yes. A lot of self-discovery and it, and I think a key thing here is, don't expect to go to one 
or five counseling sessions and think I'm going to be fixed. Oh, definitely not. I'm guessing. No, you are correct. <laughs> and one, another question, and I'm sure your response is it depends. What is that best first step? Is it going to a trusted loved one and saying, this is how I feel? Or is it going to an, an unbiased, objective counselor? For someone who maybe is feeling what you felt during college or high school, what what would you say are kind of your options or the, the right path to go That's from there? That's a great there? question. I think I would say whatever you're the most comfortable with, like whatever you will actually do is where you need to start. If you're like, if you can tell that what you actually need is counseling, but you're just never going to pick up the phone and make that call, then that's not where you start. You start with talking to someone that you trust about it, or you start by going to your doctor and you can even make a couple of appointments and like at the first appointment, just tell them you're not doing great. And then at the second appointment, be like, okay, this is how I'm not doing great. You know, you can take those baby steps if that's what you need. That's okay. So whatever you actually will do, that's that's your best first step. Well, I, th- I think the, the key highlight I took away from that is going to someone who's comfortable they to talk about it and they accept yeah. that I have this and and you can make that connection that way. Yeah. And there could be safe people that you just know instinctively are not going to be helpful in this situation. Like they might be safe, but they're not going to help. So I I often, I think parents are a good example of that because they're not necessarily going to go out and tell other people or they're not going to reprimand you or be like, you're an idiot, hopefully. But they might also not really know how to help except they might just want to fix it. And fixing it's not really what you need for your first step. What you need is someone to say, thank you for telling me. What do you need from me? Or how can I support you going forward? That's what you need. You don't need someone that's like, well, okay, well, you're going to move back in with me and I'm going to take care of you and you're yeah. going to go to counseling and da, 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 you know, you got to, yep. you can't have someone fix it for you. That's not possible. So going back to kind of the timeline here, I graduated from college and I just had, I mean, I was, I was broken. Basically, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted to do with life. I didn't really have dreams. I graduated with a psychology degree thinking I would be a group counselor. I would go work in a group home and I, I knew I didn't have the emotional reserves for that at the time. I knew I was just, I was kind of done. And so ended up working for Starbucks for a couple of years, just trying to figure out what's next. And I spent, man, Becky, I spent so many hours just walking and thinking mm-hmm. and just trying to process who, who am I? What's wrong? Do I need to do something about how I feel? What do I even feel? And it, it just required a lot of soul searching and some really good friends that, helped push me into taking next steps, starting to go to counseling, starting to ask me, you know, are you still working for Starbucks because you're afraid to try something else? Are you ever going to be ready to take a different job? I mean, not that there's anything wrong with Starbucks, but it wasn't where I wanted to be permanently. Um, So I had friends to challenge me, but also just to listen. So that was a huge step. I kind of look at those years as basically me figuring out how to live going forward as an adult. So the couple of, it was about four years after college, I spent kind of doing nothing. I mean, working, but just trying to figure out how to function. And what I took away from those years is that I do function at a lower level than a lot of people, especially you, Becky. I'm crazy though. Yeah, you are. (laughs) But I think if I hadn't had those years of coming to terms with that, I think there would be some insecurity in even in our friendship that you can get so much done. You can function so at such a high level and communicate with so many people. And I just need a lot of downtime. 
and I've, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm an introvert, but I'm also depressed, and I just need a lot of time to rest and to build my energy back up and to process things. I mean, even last night, we already talked about this, you and me, but I had a, an emotional breakdown, and I was sobbing, and I just needed time to rest and figure out what am I feeling? Why do I need to do anything about it? And I just had to come to terms over those couple of years with that's just how my life is going to be. I'm, I need extra space in my life. I, I have a question. Great. At this point, when you're at Starbucks, it's post-college. Had you been suggested or prescribed of any medication yet at this point? Great question. No. Okay. I started taking medication right after that season. I think I started going to counseling during that season and tried one counselor and my first counselor. So this is something I would say, if you go to a counselor and you try them for a few sessions and you're like, this is terrible, go to a new counselor. Like that's, that's okay. That happens. Not every counselor is for everybody. That's fine. My first, they probably know that too. Yes. So they're not going to take it personal. Absolutely. Yes. And my current counselor, actually, when we first got (laughs) my first uh, uh, session with her, she said, just so you know, if you ever decide we're done, you don't have to call me. You don't have to tell me why. Like, I mean, you can't cancel your appointment less than 24 hours in advance, but you don't have to tell me. You can just stop coming and that's okay. So a lot of counselors really are understanding of that. And some of them do want you to process with them why you're leaving more for you so that they, you can see, okay, this is why I'm not coming back or that kind of thing. But yeah, so my first counselor was super empathetic just, I mean, I would tell her what I was feeling and she would start tearing up. And I was like, nope, I can't do this. This is not for me. And so that is for some people. That's great. That's what they need. I feel like that'd be draining for her if she's yeah. tearing up with so many client uh, clients coming in. I mean, she was in her 60s, so clearly it was working for her. I mean, she'd been counseling for 40 years or something, so she's got good she tear knew what she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed. But I felt like I was already managing so many of other people's emotions, I couldn't handle hers as well. So I ended up going to two more after that, and one of them, uh, the one I still go to four years later, I think, three years later, she, she's very like stone-faced with me, which is funny because I actually have other friends that see her as well, and she is not stone-faced with them. So I think she just figured out what I needed and is the kind of counselor that I need. And so she, she does not react at all when I tell her things which is what I need. I need someone to just bounce back what what I have to say, how I'm feeling. So in terms of medication, when I started uh, my second or third counselor, I went to my physician first and he put me on something. I honestly don't even remember what the first thing I took was, but it, it honestly, okay, this is going to be weird to talk about, but it made me suicidal. It made me feel like I wanted to actively die instead of just that feeling of I don't want to be alive. And that was freaky. Uh, yeah. That was not something I'd really experienced before. And that's honest. Unfortunately, it's fairly normal for some antidepressants um, to put you through that kind of a stage of that. Usually you get over it. Sometimes you don't. So that is something to be aware of. It can be scary. Um, how? Sorry. How long? No, it's okay. Because I've heard from other friends yeah. that it takes time for the medication to start to work. Mm-hmm. Like, So I guess my question, too, is how long do you stay on a medication? And then you might, like, it might not be in the first month that you feel that way, but right. it might be later. And knowing that it is the medication that can actually cause that a side effect. 
They usually say you should stay on an antidepressant for at least three months. Okay. That's what they say. And di- varying doctors will say different things and different medications have different things. But typically you want to be on it for at least three months before you decide this is not for me because it can mess you up going on it and it can mess you up going off. That's good to point out. So it's not necessarily like if you stop taking it, it's not necessarily going to help. So you might actually get somewhere faster if you keep taking it. But yeah, it's complicated. It's so hard. And even that makes me so sad that we don't have this way to fix something even, you know, for sure. Like you can't be sure the medication is going to help, but maybe it's going to make a big difference. So I tried that medication for a while. And after I think six months, I switched over to something else because it just wasn't really doing anything. And then fun fact, the next medication gave me diarrhea for six weeks. That was exciting. Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, man. So yeah, symptoms of medication. Not not the best. That was a symptom. Not the best. Yeah. Uh, But that one, it was helpful, but not super helpful. So then I actually ended up going to a psychiatrist after that because I felt like my doctor wasn't really paying a lot of attention to me. And so my psychiatrist, I've heard horror stories about psychiatrists, but my psychiatrist was amazing. She was great. Uh, Super expensive but really great. You get what and you pay so, for. Yeah. So she put me on something else along with that. And then, um, cause she was more worried about my energy level than anything else. And so she bumped up my energy level and then she ended up taking me off the first thing. So I'm on my third medication now. I've been taking it for three years, I guess. And mm-hmm. it seems to be for the most part working. Yeah. So that too is a journey. Yes. Yeah. And someday I would love to come off of it to figure out, okay, how much of how I'm functioning is just me and how much of it is the medication. I would love to just figure that out for myself. And my, usually my doctor's willing to do that, but she's kind of like, okay, let's be intentional about what season of your life we're going to do that in. So we just haven't gotten to a season yet that she's like, this is great. You know, cause you don't want to do that when you're going into the winter because winter is usually hard for people who are depressed. So we're coming close to catching up on this art story. I think I, I, I almost want to describe what it's like for me specifically to be depressed. And I, again, I hope we said this at the beginning. I think we did. Every person who's depressed feels it differently. I mean, everybody has a different journey. So I'm just talking about what it's been like for me. For me, some days it's just really hard to muster up the motivation to get out of bed. And that's because I don't, I don't want to do any of the things in my day or I don't feel like I have the energy to do the things in my day. A lot of times... The difficulty is around interactions with people. I think because I do have that empathetic side of me, it, it drains me to try to be around people, especially when things are difficult for them. But I want to be. That's it, it, It's like it's a, it's a catch-22 because it gives me life to be around people and to have them share who they really are and what's really going on with me, but it also exhausts me. And so, yeah, there's kind of that balance of figuring out how to manage my own energy level and manage how much I'm interacting with people and how much I'm not. And uh, a couple months ago, I, a, a friend of a friend was a victim of suicide and I went to the funeral and uh, one of my mentors happened to be there. Her husband was performing the uh, service and after the, after the service, I, I actually got through it okay. I felt like, yeah, this is really sad. It was one of the saddest funerals I've ever been to because he was a young man. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I cried, but I was doing okay. And then went up to 
my mentor, and she she took my face in her hands and said, Ashleen, you don't ever get to leave us. Promise me you don't get to leave us this way. And I didn't start crying then, um, but I started crying after I walked away from her and, you know, I promised yes. And, um, it was, it was really hard. That conversation was hard. It, I, it was good, but I did have to process it because that means I don't, I don't have a way out. I don't, when things do get really hard and that's what she said, when thing, no matter how th- hard things get, no matter how difficult it feels like you don't get to leave us, promise me. And I don't want to, I, and I will not do that to my family and friends because I, as an empathetic person, I know how much that would, you know, that would crush my mother, crush my friends. Um, but it is hard to think about there's no way out, that I am stuck the way that I feel and how hard life is, I am stuck in that for the rest of my life. And looking back on my childhood journal, I mean, the fact that it's been since I was a kid means it's probably going to be this way for the rest of my life. And some days are just going to be really hard. And that's just how it is. And I have to accept that. And I think the hardest part about being depressed for me is knowing it's just going to be this way. And that's not really something I can do anything about. I just have to take one day at a time, one moment at a time, one event, one conversation. When things are hard, I just have to keep going. I don't have a choice. Um, and it just is how it is. So that's probably the hardest part for me. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for your mentor <laughs> who said that to you. Yeah. And it's, it's sad to hear about young men who've left us that way. And, and I guess the, yeah, it, the good thing is it can remind you of all those people. You got to see all those faces that loved him. And yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that processing afterwards. There's no easy escape. It is what it is. And you have to address this for the rest of your life and you can be hopeful that it gets easier, but at the same time, knowing there is no perfect fix. I'm guessing. No, maybe science not. someday. Hopefully. Yeah. Maybe we'll figure it out someday. Yeah. In that moment, I mean, I'm grateful that there's people like your mentor who can remind you how loved you are yeah. and how important it is that, you know, you come to us if you need anything and that we're here for you. And thank you so much for sharing that story. I know that's got to be, I mean, this your entire story about depression like you said, you've shared it before, but it's not easy. It's never easy. And what amazes me is I look at Ash as the super successful, intelligent, caring person. And so I think it's also important to realize if you have depression, it's not like a, it's not like the scarlet letter on your shirt. You know, people, you're still loved. People don't look at you. They don't look down on you because you have depression. Yeah. You're still equally as important and valued. And we want you to be a part of this journey we yeah. all call life, whatever that looks like. <laughs> so, I mean, I really, I appreciate you being so vulnerable. I know that's got to be really hard. And and I think of so many people out there who can't put together those words to share how they feel. Mm-hmm. But this, I can only imagine how much it'll help them and comfort to know these emotions and some of these feelings. They're not alone. And And there are different steps and ways, interventions that you can take to help. Yeah. 
And I think one thing I would say, if you are, if you are around someone who is experiencing mental illness, one of the, one of the things that's most helpful is to just call it what it is. Just call it. I mean, if they're saying they're depressed, especially I think, um, in my community of Christians, unfortunately, we have this sort of the stigma of, well, if you, if you are a Christian, you shouldn't be depressed, which is just not true. That's just not like, that's not how the world works. We live in a fallen world and, and we deal with the ramifications of that. And so I would say, yeah, try to be empathetic, but also just accept, like I call it what it is, call it mental illness, call it because it, you know, it communicates, this is not your fault. This is not, it's not my fault that I'm depressed and there, yeah, there are things that I need to do about it and decisions I need to make, but it's not my fault. And so coming alongside someone and saying, I'm with you, I see you, I see what's happening, I see how hard it is and I want to help if I can, but mostly I'm just here with you. That's really what's important. I'm glad you mentioned stigmas because I do think that is something that sadly causes people to try to ignore it or suppress it and not find help is because of those stigmas. And, and my goal and our goal, one of the reasons we were so passionate about talking and starting a business around people development is to break those stigmas and make sure people know this is okay. This is who you are. Yeah. And yeah, we can talk about it. Let's pull back the curtain. Let's take a look. Let's be vulnerable. And I, I do think and hope that those stigmas are going away or at least becoming less as we talk more about it. Agreed. I just want to reiterate, and I'm sure our listeners feel the same way. It means so much, Ash, to have you share such a vulnerable story. I mean, truly talk about being transparent, peeling back the layers and showing it all. A lot of times people, they might never feel as comfortable to share that story. And having loved ones on, you know, that I know who suffer from similar uh, mental illness, it means so much that you're willing to share and help them know they're not alone. And there's different emotions that they might have and there's, there's ways to help. So thank you. And for our listeners, I mean, this is the type of stuff we really want to talk about. We want to, we want to get deep. We don't want to be surfacey. We're going to tell you guys the, you know, I'm going to talk about mistakes that I've made in my life. (laughs) We're going to talk about (laughs) who we are and we're not perfect. We're human. Although Ash is close to superhuman. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So anyway, I I hope that our listeners, I hope you all appreciate too the the story that Ash has shared with us. Uh, Come back for more. This is just the beginning of us sharing these type of stories from ourselves and others. Our next episode, if you tune back in, is going to be around crucial conversations. So how to deal with those conversations that keep you up at night, uh, make your stomach hurt. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about those next. The (laughs) angst, the drama. The drama. (laughs) So thank you guys so much for joining us for this special episode. And uh, we hope you'll tune back in soon. Thanks for joining us on Living Box Free, put on by On The Rise Group. Follow or subscribe to Living Box Free on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play to hear our new episodes every Monday as well as our bonus episodes. You can learn more about our services at ontherisegroup.com. Also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ontherisegroup. We hope you'll tune in next time for more helpful content.